In case you are wondering, we're not going to deviate from where we've been because of Memorial Day. Because I think what we're talking about today lines up with Memorial Day. Memorial Day is about sacrifice. It's about what we give in honor of those that we leave behind us. What the military does, what the Navy does, Air Force, Coast Guard, they put their lives on the line. They make a sacrifice so that those that they leave behind can be safe, can have freedom can have the ability to live the life that we have in this country. A lot of people trash the U.S. A lot of people say things. And I always ask the question, if America is so terrible, how come everybody is trying to get here? You know what I mean? Seriously. But when I look at the book of Romans, chapter 12, it talks about what we need in this day and age. How can we make a difference? We're in a small town here in Texas, and we, none of us are politicians, and we don't shape uh, the decisions of a country or even of a city or even of a state. Uh, we don't do that sort of thing. We're just regular, ordinary people. How can we help the world? How can we make sense of these crazy times? What we need to do if we want to change America is not change all the laws and change all this. We need to change ourselves. We need to become living sacrifices. The military sacrifices literally their lives to keep us safe. What we need to do is we need to be willing to sacrifice ourselves so that America can become a better place. And that starts right here. To be a living sacrifice, to be someone who makes that difference in the world, you need to take three actions. So open up your Bibles to the book of Romans, chapter 12. Take a piece of paper, put down three numbers, one, two, three, because I'm going to give you three actions that you as a person need to take if you want to be a change agent in the world, if you want to change the world you live in. You may only want to change yourself for your marriage. You may want to become a better husband, a better wife. So maybe you want to be a better husband, a better wife, a better grandparent, you might want to be a better aunt or a better uncle. You want to change the world by starting with your family. To do that, one, you've got to change your thinking. You need to change your thinking. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Worship does not happen in a sanctuary when you sing music. Worship does not happen when you play Christian music in your car. That is an aspect of worship. It is one corner of worship. True worship happens in the heart of a believer as they mold their life to follow Jesus Christ. Verse 2, do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern, you may understand, you may fully fathom what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. We could spend all day right here on these two verses, but we're not going to. But I wanted to find some words for you. I think when we read this, do not be conformed, be transformed, be renewed, I think we don't understand what those words really mean really mean? Look at the very first word. Do not be conformed. Now the word conformed is interesting. It's something you do. It means to pattern yourself after an example. When you were a kid, you had a hero. My dad's hero was John Wayne. John Wayne was a great actor. He was a, a great role model for that generation of people. Your, 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 your favorite 
actor or actress or singer may have had a great influence in your life and, and how you thought about the world or how you thought about yourself. So to pattern yourself after someone is to see the example that you want. And this says do not pattern your life after the world. There's a lot of TV shows out there that show you the lifestyles of the rich and famous. That used to be a TV show a hundred years ago when I was still young. And maybe it's all gone away now, I don't know. But this lifestyle of the rich and famous showed you what you wanted. You want to have this kind of car, this kind of lifestyle. You want to travel the world. You want to have diamonds or you want to have money in the bank or you want to have a yacht to go out on the ocean with. They was telling you to pattern your life after people who sought wealth. Well, right here he says, do not be conformed to this age, to this America in 2022. Don't want what everybody else wants. Don't desire to have what everybody else desires to have. Instead, be transformed. Okay, now what does that word mean? It's a, one, it's a wonderful word in the Greek. Metamorphou. Metamorphou. Sounds like some kind of food you eat in a Chinese restaurant, metamorpho. But it's actually where we get the English word metamorphosis. It is a changing, that little caterpillar that crawls out, that little ugly stumpy thing that goes out there and munches all the leaves in your garden and you desperately try and whack those things. Yeah, you know, that little caterpillar is doing something. He's feeding himself, why? Because he's about to metamorpho. He's about to change. He becomes a completely different creature from what he was. He looks different. Now, instead of crawling, he flies. His lifestyle is very simple and just out there and fluttering around. But he becomes something different. The Christian does not want to say, oh, here's what the world has. I want to be that. I want to be conformed. No, I want to metamorpho. I want to change into something completely different. Who do we want to change into? Into the, into the image of Jesus Christ and how he lived his life and what he did with his life and what he taught us. So you have to be metamorpho. How? How is that possible? By renewing your mind. Does anybody like to work on old things, old cars, old houses? You know, I always watch these shows where they go back and they, they, they renovate old houses, right? Do you know what they're doing? They are renewing the house. The word renew literally means renovation. It means taking something that exists, and because you are metamorphoing, you are, you are transforming, then there is this renewal in your life, a new way of acting, a new way of doing. Like you say, you get diagnosed uh, pre-diabetic, right? You're going to be pre-diabetic. Okay, what happens? You change your, uh, your food intake. You change your activity level. Or you may have to change some medication that you're on. You may have to do all these things because you are aiding this transformation into a healthier individual who is not pre-diabetic but is not diabetic. I've, I've known many diabetic people who are in the military. Uh, my, uh, my church in Washington was all military, either active duty or retired. And most of those guys were diabetic. I don't know what it, what it had to do with or what, what they had in common, but there was a lot of diabetes on that, on that fort. So there was. So when you want to renew yourself, you start with the mind. You start with the way you think, the way you pattern yourself. Consider he goes on and says this, Micah 6.8. Micah 6.8. You know why? He says, you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. You want to know the will of God? It's right here. Micah 6, 8. He has told you, God has told you, O oh man, what is good, and what does Yahweh require of you? 
And that's the question you want. What does God really want from me? What does God, does he want me to show up at church on Sunday and sit in a pew? Maybe. Does he want me to play music in church on Sunday? Maybe. Maybe he wants you to preach or he wants you to teach Sunday school or he wants you to cut the grass. What does God want? He says it right here. Yahweh requires you to do justice, to act justly to all people. Many of the teachings of the Old Testament, when you get to the book of Exodus, is about how to treat other people, how to treat them with dignity, with respect. Uh, we were talking earlier. It seems that, that people don't have any respect for anybody. You see people hitting little old people on the street or punching out someone because they're the wrong ethnicity or, or, or doing these hateful things because someone is different than them. There's a word for that. It's xenophobic. There's also another word for it. It's sin. Sin corrupts the mind, corrupts the emotions, corrupts the body. And that's what we have to be careful of. So you do justice. You love kindness. How many of you would say you are a kind person? Oftentimes we, we put the word compassionate in there because, see, if kindness is, is, is a sentiment, compassion is an action. If you are kind and compassionate, you do something about the condition of the people around you. It says, and to walk humbly with your God in Micah. We walk humbly so that when God says, go speak to that person, we go speak to them. Show kindness to that person. Show forgiveness. Show love. Everything about our transformation into the image of Christ has to do with changing completely how we think about the world and how we act within that because of that change. Changing your actions, I mean, um, changing your thinking is the very first thing you have to do in order to, hate, to be a living sacrifice. Second thing is this, you need to change your priorities. What's the number one priority in your life? If you are a man, number one priority is probably your wife. Uh, amen, and I hope that's true. If you're a woman, your number one priority is what? Your children. That's usually how that goes. Men care for wives, wives care for children. And it all comes back to you in the end, so don't worry about it. It's okay. What is your priority? Is it getting rich? Is it being famous? Is it getting more likes on Facebook or on any of the other social media sites you go to? Do you want to be noticed? Do you want people to look up to you and think better of you because of the things you post? If that's true, this may be a little challenging for you. Romans 12, 3. For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself or herself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly. The word you may have in your Bible is the word soberly. Soberly does not have to do with not having alcohol. Although some of us can really, really stand not to do that because that's very, very bad for you. To think soberly, to think sensibly, is to realize you can only love other people with the same level of respect that you have for yourself. You find someone who is cruel and vicious to others, you will find someone who hates themselves desperately, and they simply turn that aggression outwards. Think about it. Think of the people you know in your family or your friends, your workplace. Who is the most vicious, the most cruel? Who is the most sarcastic and the nastiest person you know? That person hates themselves. They hate themselves desperately and they take that hatred out on everybody else. Remember it says, love your neighbor how? 
as you love yourself. If you see God's love for you, your worth in God's eyes, you see how much he values you, you are going to turn that value out to the people who are around you. Husbands will love their wives. Wives will love their children and their husbands too. We need a little care and compassion, especially on Father's Day, which is coming up. I'm just saying. Think about it. You have to change your priorities so your priorities become about love. It says, instead, think sensibly as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Now, he's going to go on and talk about this. He's going to talk about what these gifts are that have been distributed. I want you to think about something. In your life, what have you been given? very first thing you should list, if you have one, is a spouse. A spouse has been given to you. That is a blessing from God. If you have children, children are a blessing from God. They may not always seem that way, depending on the age, like three, four, five, six, you know, the terrible twos times 10 and terrible 12s. They may not seem that way, but think about it. Children are a huge blessing from God. Friends are a blessing from God. A church, a church family is a blessing from God. Maybe you can sing. Maybe you can play. Maybe you can teach. Maybe you can do the things that need to get done around the church. People have taken and given up days of their life to put in hot water heaters and to fix creaky boards and to cut the grass and to keep the snakes away and do all of that work. And someone had to do it and it had to be a person who had the ability, had the gift of it. The gift of compassion is an amazing gift. So is the gift of hospitality. That's one of those gifts I don't have. And that's why I have a wife who is very hospitable. She makes up for my deficiencies. Don't tell her I said that. I really don't need her to get a swelled head. But there we go. Keep going. So he says, to each is given a measure of faith. Verse 4. Verse four. Now, as we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function... If you ever find yourself in a church that says everybody has to have the same gift, run away. They just violated the book of Romans, chapter 12. This says all the parts do not have the same function. They do not have the same gift. In the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. We are a unit. We are a connection, a collection, a composition, if you will. In the military... Every man in a chalk or a unit has a purpose. Every man or woman in that unit has a function. Some do this, some do that, some do the other thing. I know mostly about the military from the people that I have worked with and that I have talked to, and they tell me there is no dispensable person in a military unit. Each one of them has a function, not the same function. And that's why they have to work together as a unit to get things happening. Believe me, if you've uh, ever talked to a special forces person, they will talk about working with God. And they're not talking about God. They're talking about a sniper. I talked to some guys once, and they said, when you're out there, your first prayer is always to God. And I said, oh, that's, that's really cool. You're praying to God. No, no, the sniper. Because he's the one that's up high. He can see. He protects. So I understand how one man is up there, far from the fight, but he is the one looking over everybody. He has a specific purpose. You might be a prayer warrior. You may not be able to come cut grass or put in hot water heaters, 
or do Bible study lessons. You may not be able to come for VBS and help us do those things. But you know what you can do? You can pray. You can pray earnestly that God would bless, provide, bring us the kids that we need to touch and, and to shape. Everyone can pray. I've even met people who have no voice. They have lost their, their voice to either oral cancer or some other type of uh, disorder. And they will sit there and they will pray day and night for the church or for the church work. Even though their voice cannot be heard, God hears them perfectly. Those are the people you want in your life. You want prayer warriors in your life. Trust me. He says this, according to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. If your gift is prophecy, which is the ability to speak out the things of God, technically that is my gift. I have the gift of prophecy. I don't foretell the future. I foretell the truth. Do you guys understand the difference? You can have prophets in the Old Testament who foretold the future. My job as a pastor is to foretell what God's word says so that you could hear it and understand it. So if your gift is prophecy, use it according to the portion of one's faith. If your gift is service, use it in service. If teaching and teaching, if exhorting, which is encouraging people, everyone needs encouragement, amen? Everyone needs to be built up and strengthened and told, it's so good to have you here. It's so good to see you. How can I pray for you? We need the, if it's exhortation, then you need to exhort. If you are a, Generous with giving, he says, give with generosity. If your gift is leadership, exercise that with diligence. If your gift is showing mercy, then show mercy with cheerfulness. We need cheer. We need happiness. We need joy in God's service. God's service is not a drudge. It is a wonderful opportunity to be involved in what God is doing. You realize that from the very first person, Adam, to us, is an unbroken lineage of the human race. So was the sin that he brought into the world. But from every person who ever shared Christ with you, you go back to the person who shared Christ with them and the person who shared Christ with them. And there is a lineage of faith that comes down to you. Don't be a dead end. Continue the lineage of faith. Continue sending forth the word of God. Now says this in 1 Corinthians 12. Four through seven. Now there are varieties of gifts, amen, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. That's the important thing. Maybe you want to be a singer, but you can't sing. That's me. I can't sing. I want to, but I can't. Okay, if you ever heard me sing, you'll know why I can't. Okay, I want that gift, but this is not the gift I was given. So I'm going to use the gift I was given. I'm going to use the abilities that I have, not sit around pining for something I can't do. You know, it's just how it is. It says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. If you ever get over to 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7, it is given for the common good, not for your good. It is not given for you to become wealthy and successful and to lord it over people. I know people in church choirs, and I tell you, I tell you this honestly, uh, as a musician who sits in the bottom and, and nobody really sees us when we're doing our thing. I know church musicians who are the most arrogant, the most insufferable people in the world. They have a gorgeous gift but they want to be seen exercising that gift. 
They want you to see them and praise them for their beautiful voice, not for the God who gave them that voice. And I've known more than a few people who suffered uh, ruptured larynx or, or uh, damage to the throat, and they go, why would God take away my gift? Simple, you weren't using it for him. You were using it for yourself. Every gift given to God's people is for the blessing of the church, for the spreading of the gospel, for the reaching out of everything that we do as a church. That's our purpose. So there's, there's two things. One, you need to change your thinking. You need to see yourself in the right light. Two, you need to change your priorities. The service to God needs to be your priority. Yes, your wife. Yes, your husband. Yes, your children. Yes, your work. Those are important things, but they are not the number one priority. The number one priority is your service to God, and only God can show you what that is. Third thing I want you to see is this. You need to change your reactions. Change your reactions. Here's something I want you to remember. I wrote this down, and then I heard someone say it last night. It's, it's, it's astounding. I always write stuff down, then I hear it again. Other people act in your life for good or for ill, yes? People say things that hurt you. People do things that hurt you. People comment and make cracks that hurt you. Other people act. You must choose to react. You understand? You can't change other people. A horse's behind is a horse's behind no matter what title you give them. Not that I'm talking about politics or, you know, state leadership or all that stuff. Here's the thing. People act. Only you can choose how you react. He said this, choose to react as Jesus did. The spirit can make the improbable possible. When someone does something or says something to hurt you, your choice is how you react to that. Now, a lot of people are very reactionary. You say something to them, they punch you in the face. Or you, you make a comment to them, and then they blast it all over social media. Whatever. That's their issue, not my issue. My issue is only how I react. Let's see what this looks like. Romans 12, 9. He's going to use two words here that mean different things, and I'm going to show you what they mean. Let love be without a hypocrisy. Now, the word for love, there's the word agape. It's also the word in English, benevolence. Do you know what benevolence is? It is giving simply because you can give. It is giving because you have that generosity of spirit and of heart. You give without expecting to get back. A king can be either a tyrant or he can be benevolent. Fortunately, we serve a very benevolent God who gives and gives and gives endlessly to us, even though we very seldom return anything to him. Let love be without hypocrisy. So do not be a person who is stingy with that love, with that agape, that giving benevolence. He says this, detest evil, cling to what is good. Don't cling after the things that we clearly know are evil. It's back over here when he says, you know, do not be conformed to the world. Same thing. So do not go to what is evil, even if it's popular. Do not go to what is wrong, even if everybody's doing it. It's like your mother always told you, oh, and if everybody jumped off a bridge, would you jump off a bridge too? I don't think so. That's what you don't, you don't follow the crowd. We would talk about uh, the little creatures in England that run to the sea and they jump in, except that those creatures actually don't do that. I found out that's a myth. 
a little things that jump in the water. Anyways, lemmings, thank you, it's true. Verse 10, here it comes. This is the same word in English, but it's not the same word in Greek. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. This is one of the most interesting compound words that I've come across in the Bible. There are two types of love in Greek that are combined here. One is philos, which is the love of a brother or comrade, uh, brothers in arms, if you will, in, in the military. That's philos, you know, philo. So I would say Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. So that's philos. There's another word, estorge, which is family. This word is philostorgos. That's an ugly word, but I love what it means. Philostorgos is to cherish your family. Not just your wife or, or husband, not just your children or grandchildren or nephews and nieces. Philostorgos is to cherish those who are related to you, even if by faith. It is to cherish your church family, to cherish people who are Christians, to cherish those who have a common ancestry in Jesus Christ. So he says, let agape be without hypocrisy. If you're going to love, love them. Give benevolently. Then he says, philostorgos, those people who are around you. Love them like, like brothers and sisters. And, and, you know, as you get older, you lose family. You know, as I talked to my brother yesterday, and, and he had just lost one of his best friends. They had been friends for like 40 years. And I could hear it in his voice. I could hear that loss of having lost someone he had known for like 40 years. And, and that's harder. As you get older, there's fewer of those people left. There's fewer people around that you've known that long. So to feel a story go someone is to feel that compassion, that connection to other Christians and to act because of it, to act in a loving way because of it. It says, take the lead in honoring one another. Wow. Imagine what would happen if we took the lead, if we were the person who honored other Christians, honored other people, not looking to be honored, but looking for the opportunity to praise and honor other people. How often do we tell the people in our family, I love you. I love you not because you're my sister or my brother or my, my, or my cousin. I love you because I love you. I love you because there's some connection in there that we grew up together or we know each other. And um, you find this in people who are adopted. And then after 10 or 20 or 30 years, they find people that they are actually related to blood-wise. And you watch them when they meet each other, and there's this kind of philostorgos. There's this, this connection that is instantly established because you share something in common. I can go to any country of the world and not know anybody. I've done this. You can walk into a church where you know nobody and you're not even sure about the language. But when you sit down in a service and you hear the music start and you recognize the hymn, you look around at those strangers singing in a strange language and suddenly you feel philostorgos. You feel this instant bond with them because even though you're from different countries, different languages, you look different, you are connected in the blood of Christ. And that's what is so important about the church. 
Now he goes on. He says this. Do not lack diligence in zeal, but be fervent in the spirit. You're going to love this one. This word fervent refers to two different things. What happens to water when you put it on a stove and you turn on the fire? It warms up, right? What is the ultimate point of putting it on there? It begins to boil. Okay, that's this word fervent. Except that when you refer to a solid object, yeah, because the water will boil and it boils away. When you apply this type of heat, this fervency to a solid object, have you ever smelted anything? Have you ever worked iron in a fire before? What happens to cold hard steel when it gets that hot? You ever, you ever pick up something you're working with? It glows white hot. You can pick that thing up and it literally is off. It is literally fire contained inside that metal. That's what your life is to be. You are to be a living fire, a living ember of God's love. And people will see that. Yeah, you know, you take a knife out of that fire and it glows white hot. It's, it's impressive. You can feel the heat coming off that. That's what your life is supposed to be. Your life is supposed to be white hot. It is to glow with the power and the fervency of God's love. Not just for his other, other Christians, you know, we should definitely see that when we're together. But also when you begin to talk about the love of God, that glowing, that, that, that heat, that passion, that fervency comes out. And that should be a mark, a hallmark of all of us, that fervency. He goes on and says this, share with the saints in their need, pursue hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice in those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Don't be arrogant because you're saved and they're not. Instead, associate with humble people. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never repay evil for evil. That is the hardest thing that we as people can do. Our natural response is, you mess with me, I mess with you. You hurt me, I hurt you back. You hurt my family, I really hurt you. That's how we are as human beings, especially as Texans. As Texans, we take care of our own. Can I get an amen from somebody that gets this? Yet as Christians, we are to temper that reaction and not repay evil for evil. One, one pastor put it this way, and I, I'm not sure I would have said this, but I'll, I'll take it from his mouth. He said, if y'all's worried about that person getting away with hurting you, there's still a fiery place in hell for him. Just think on that. I think he was joking. I really do think he was joking because it was one of those shows. But um, think about it. The people who hurt you have an eternal destination that is unpleasant. Would you let someone go to hell? Go to that eternal place of darkness and suffering and loneliness just because in, in an awkward moment they hurt you? I would hope not. You know, I, I, a lot of people have done me wrong over the years, but I, I am grateful that today I can stand here and go, if any one of them walked in that back room, I'd be glad to see them and hug them. No matter what they had done to me, that connection is still there. It says, friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath because God will take care of it. He really will. 
Because it is written, vengeance belongs to me, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in so doing, you will be heaping fiery coals on their heads. I think that's what the pastor was referring to. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. What was he talking about? In these days, a Roman legionnaire could take a person who was in servitude, uh, someone from a conquered nation, especially like in, in, in Jerusalem or Israel, they could force you to carry their stuff for a certain distance. You know, the, the Romans would, would march through an area and they would say, you, you there, come here, carry this backpacker, carry this equipment. And by Roman law, you had to carry it a certain distance. That's why when Jesus says if they force you to go one mile, go two. You don't have to go the second mile by Roman law, but show the abundance of grace right there. He's saying, if you are better than what they deserve, then they will feel that conviction in their heart. There are people who have been won to Christ simply because Christians refused to curse them, refused to hate them, refused to do terrible things to them. There were Christians after World War II who had the opportunity to vent their vengeance on the Nazis who had persecuted them or imprisoned them or those who were in uh, the prison camps of Japan in the Pacific. They had a chance to get even. And you could find the stories of those men who said, no, I will not take vengeance on you, but my God will unless you change. You know, they, they saw in the captivity of their captors a chance to show the gospel's power and the gospel's authority. And there were those Japanese soldiers who relate that they did come to faith in Christ because those that they had tortured refused to return the favor. Think about it. Everybody sees us and everybody goes, well, if I were you, I would. No, you wouldn't. Because that's not what God has asked me to do. He has asked me not to do that. He has asked me to leave space for him to judge. Because God is the ultimate judge of the heart, of the mind, of the soul, of the body, of all those reactions. We live in a world where people can kill their grandmother and then go and destroy the lives of an entire town. And I don't understand that. And I, I, I just don't. I don't get that. But if we want to change things, if we want to be like the men and women who serve this country, who put their lives on the line, who are willing to die so that we can be free. That's what Memorial Day is all about. Remembering those who made that sacrifice. Can we not sacrifice for our king, for our country, for our savior? Can we not be those who make that sacrifice? Can we not rise to the occasion and be a living sacrifice? Be agents of change in a world that has gone absolutely insane. That's the question for today. And you know what? Each one of us can only answer for ourselves. Amen? Let's pray.